3: Welcome, 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 welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. And that's Tuesday, June, July, June, June 6. <laughs> I am already uh, already excited that July is right around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's only because yeah, it's true. I'm excited. That it, it is Pride Month, and, you know, all the flags go, gone up on uh, Market Street here in San Francisco on June 1st was very exciting. It's always very exciting. It's a little creepy when you get downtown to Union Square, um, and you see all the corporations now who have, like, LGBTQ rainbow-branded everything. Um, it is kind of creepy. I mean, we just never really have seen this type of commercialization of... of, of you know, pride. At the same time, though, it does make me kind of teary eyed and, and proud because you know that that equals progress. It's Tuesday. It's my favorite day of the week because you know why. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. John, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thanks, Michelle, for having me here.
3: Do you get equally creeped out by, you know, so much rainbow products that there are out there for you to purchase, John, to be proud of I'm, who you are?
1: I'm not a big purchaser of pride <laughs> products, to be alliterative. Um, but I probably am a, a glasses half full sort of person when I see that knowing how long ago, uh, I mean, how recently it was that big companies would, you know, do everything they could to distance themselves from LGBT stuff. Well, you know, this is the way they show that <laughs> they're on board and, and that they don't have a problem. And, and uh, Right. So half yeah. glass full.
3: Yeah. You might not catch me with some rainbow Adidas. But maybe some rainbow laces okay. by Adidas. <laughs> anyway, happy Pride Month. The only sourpuss there is out there really are, uh, you know, I, I think the, the White House, the president. He has stripped away the celebration of Pride Month that President Obama had put in place. So the, the White House officially is not celebrating Pride.
1: Well, the White House, which did a Holocaust remembrance without uh, noting the Jews, um, I think they're probably going to celebrate Pride without gay people. it's just what they do
3: that's just what they do before we get started with the program let's check in with john Uh, john do you have any headlines that you want to throw at us what's going on i mean the world is still oh well
1: i don't have any good news i mean literally right now there's breaking news about a man with a hammer attacking um a police officer in paris and i think you know we're still dealing with the fallout of what happened in the uk you know the two attacks there so um and of course, Donald Trump uh, used the London attack to attack the mayor of London, who was uh, uh, the city's first Muslim mayor. So, who knows who he'll attack now? But Paris, just another day in paradise.
3: Our hearts go out to all those have been inf- affected and impacted by these tragic killings. I mean, I, I'd like to put out there. I did a recent Facebook posting, and you know, it's like I, I stopped commenting uh, so much on. Um, these tragic events these these killings because some of them go underreported and and there's they're they're happening so often and so much lately we've just reached this era of intense violence in my opinion and so you know i I don't have a, a a dissertation on what we need to do for for safety or what the only thing that i can offer right now is compassion and love and i hope that If we can dig deep, I mean, even Albert Einstein had said to solve all of our world's problems, including war, all we need is love. So I'm going to end on that and let's get today's program started. Speaking of pride, um, I had this great, great, great time touring the Asian Art Museum here in San Francisco and got a semi-private tour with David Lay, uh, who's an incredible force to be reckoned with here in the San Francisco community. Um, He's been on the board of the Asian Art Museum. He also has been um, instrumental in the Chinese uh, uh, parade. And he he basically gave me some information, what might be a little small information of of LGBTQ presence within Chinese history, especially here in San Francisco. Um, So we'll talk to him a little bit about uh, LGBTQ Asian history or Chinese history, if you will. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. I kind of have already introduced David. Like I said, he is a force to be reckoned with. He's a huge contributor here in the San Francisco uh, cultural community and has done so much. Um, And so I'd like to welcome David to the program. David, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Oh, glad to be here. Thank you.
3: So let's talk about the Dragon Boat Festival. I bring this up because uh, you had mentioned that it could be the the gay Chinese festival, if we looked at it from one perspective. Let's talk about the history first, so that people understand the context of what you might mean.
0: Well, the festival itself uh, goes back to Neolithic time. Uh, it's more of a sacrifice to the dragon gods, uh, which controls the rivers. China civilization started around the uh, river valleys, so the rivers were very important. So the Dragon Boat Festival, then later on by Zhou time, uh, there was a minister named uh, Quyuan, and uh, he was uh, very important in the uh Chu Court. This is area near Hunan. and but he was later rejected by the emperor, uh, wrote a lot of poems about this. And when he heard that the uh, the kingdom that he served uh, fell, he committed suicide. And then all the people tried to save him with dragon boats or with by boats and then later on uh, made dumplings to throw into a river to feed his soul. So that tradition still continue. We still eat zongzi, which is uh, Chinese tamale, uh, to commemorate this patriotic uh, poet who committed suicide.
1: So that's basically the... the story that everyone kind of knows or or is popularly understood for the holiday.
0: Oh, yes. for Well, this holiday's been uh, celebrated since Tang time, about 1,300 years ago, Uh, and and very popular to this day. mm -hmm. Uh, On the fifth day of the fifth month on the Chinese calendar, which this year was uh, May 30th, uh, maybe 95% of all Chinese will eat this zongzi, this Chinese tamale. And uh, remember Yuan who uh, was very patriotic. But then the twist is this. Since the 1940s, uh, scholars, Chinese scholars, have gone back to read his poems regarding uh, why he committed suicide. And now the interpretation was he had a homosexual affair with the king and he was rejected so he committed suicide more from uh, rejection by his king and now uh, in china hong kong taiwan uh, the gay community is celebrating this as the first ever gay holiday
1: so what about those poems changed people's minds? I mean, were they unknown before or were they reinterpreted or what changed? Why, why did that new interpretation come out in the 1940s?
0: Well in the 1940s, this uh, scholar named Sun, he reread the poem, and certain wording that Chu uh, used uh, to describe the king uh, would be words that a wife would address a husband. And that's what triggered all this. And then uh, other scholars uh, uh, that specialize in this period, and Mm -hmm. these poems, have all agreed. And this is from the
1: 1940s. So tell us more. I mean, let's go into those poems a bit more, because I I suspect most people are are unfamiliar with them. And I certainly was before I started looking a bit more into this. Um, Was he trying to be um obvious about what he was talking about or was he you know playing a bit coaching things that could be interpreted different ways because he didn't want it to be really obvious what he was writing about
0: well in those days actually being homosexual uh, was pretty much uh, open and accepted uh... that's true throughout much of chinese history uh... your emperors during the Han Han dynasty, about the same time as the Roman Empire. Um, About the first ten Chinese emperors of that dynasty were homosexuals. And that was acceptable uh, in Chinese, in traditional Chinese culture, as long as you produce an heir. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was the duty of the emperor and all people to continue the family So that was more important than your sexual leaning. It wasn't until the Qing dynasty, the last dynasty, uh, the Manchu dynasty from 1644 to 1911, that it became more conservative, and it was actually homosexuality. was actually banned in the 1700s. And then later on came Christianity, and that really was the real force that changed attitudes in China but uh his poems uh i guess no one really caught uh, the wording he called his king uh, meiren which is a word uh, a wife would use to describe her husband so is uh is uh the relationship uh and he has a poet and a very educated scholar i think uh purposely use these words
1: mm-hmm. you you mentioned that the, this this holiday has been celebrated for over a thousand years a lot of holidays we talk about have you know changed dramatically over time whether you're talking about you know christmas or something like that you know 300 years ago it would have been quite different from what we do now do, do you know has the celebration and understanding of this holiday changed much over that millennia Oh,
0: yes, of course, and is celebrated differently in different parts of uh, China. This is more of a southern tradition, southern China, and it's also celebrated in Korea, Japan, Vietnam. This holiday that we uh, associate with Qi Yuan, uh, during, uh soon after his death and for the next about a thousand years, uh, it wasn't really mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not associated with him until about 1,000 years ago. He lived uh, more than 2,000 years ago, but it wasn't until about 1,300 years ago that this celebration uh, was affiliated with him. Uh, and you're right, as with most holidays, it changed uh, with political winds, uh, with how people celebrate different districts, different kind of foods.
3: David, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to continue this conversation. Uh, I'm so fascinated by it, especially, you know, with the uh, acknowledgement of the poet in the last thousand years. But how does this apply to people's attitudes and acceptance today? So don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with David Lay.
2: Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family.
3: Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company.
2: Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs.
1: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
3: Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. And our special guest by phone is David Lay, uh, who's on the board and, and with the Asian Art Museum. And we're talking about how the Dragon Boat Festival, which has been around for many, 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 many years... Um, how it might be Chinese gay a, a Chinese gay festival in some ways and so David right before the break I had mentioned that while uh, the poet had has has been acknowledged and 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 there's been scholars who have done some research and have taken his poems to be somewhat of a love poem to the king um, how does this how what about the social acceptance in modern times? So, especially here in San Francisco, you know, it, I know that the Dragon Boat Festival has been around for over 20 years or celebrated for over 20 years here in San Francisco. Is it talked about? Do, are people acknowledging that the poet may have been gay?
0: No, is, this is uh, not widely known. Uh, it's just the Chinese attitude, traditional Chinese attitude, for homosexuality was quite open uh... we have a lot of literature chinese literature regarding the subject and is uh... pretty widely accepted as i mentioned till the last dynasty and even here in san francisco in around nineteen fifteen there was a openly gay opera singer chinese opera singer and he was getting some problems with the uh, some of the local, uh, some of the Chinese institutions. But the six companies stepped in and basically said, leave them alone, it's okay. And this was in 1915. Uh, that's documented by the uh, Museum of Performance and Design, uh, a brochure they came out with on uh, Chinese opera, and that was mentioned in that brochure.
1: Is, is this interpretation somewhat controversial among some scholars, or is it now pretty widely accepted?
0: I think amongst the scholars is uh, accepted because uh, some of the uh, most prominent people uh, studying that period have said, yes, this is the correct interpretation. Yeah. But it's not that well known, and the Communist Party in China uh, generally uh, have, put down homosexuality mm-hmm. as a mental disease until very recently.
2: Go ahead, John.
1: Oh, well, I was actually, I wanted to dive back more into the history of kind of like what it was like at the time. And so he was a, a minister in the King's Court, is that correct? I mean, That's correct. And, and so... Assuming this wasn't uh, you know, something for Bolton at the time, so the court would have known about it, it's likely the people would have known about it as well?
0: I'm not sure about the people, but mm-hmm. it was very much accepted uh, in the Chinese courts, and, it, well, mainly because there's only the wealthy, the educated wrote yeah. about their history. So what happened on the common-level people uh, were not, Quite sure their attitudes, but different uh, definitely amongst the educated and the wealthy. It was pretty much part of life.
1: Yeah, I suppose the common people were really just following Twitter at the time. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, speaking of you know social media and outreach and getting it out there, um, you know, like for example, David, I didn't know until you had mentioned it. What what ways can we put this information out there, or should we not, or should we just? Kind of wait for others to put the information out there. And speaking of the Asian Art Museum, are there pieces or the poems available? Uh, which, if we were to to do an exhibit of some sort, is it available? The
0: poems are widely available. You can probably download uh, on the internet. Uh, he's one of the most beloved poets, and was, uh, and he's known more for his poetry. Uh, so that's widely available. At the Asian Art Museum, uh, we haven't done anything in this area. Maybe we should uh, how uh, sexuality is looked upon in Asia.
3: Mm, yes, maybe that's a project that we can work on in the future. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we as we start discussing like LGBTQ Pride Month, I mean, the Dragon Boat Festival is just one example of uh, some possible crossovers in terms of intersectionality or the inclusion of sexual orientation and gender identity within our history. Um, what other what other you know things that can you talk about that might not have been spoken of, for example, like I thought it was really cool when you told me before there was even the LGBTQ uh, San Francisco Pride Parade. The uh, the uh, I'm sorry, the GLBT uh, Freedom Band had performed at the Chinese Parade. Is that right?
0: Oh yes, uh, this was in the early mid 70s of uh, The Chinese uh, New Year Parade has been pretty open to accept uh, everybody into the parade and the community in general, uh, the Chinese community, the attitude uh, has been more open. So in, uh, when the ban, uh, gay freedom ban was first uh, founded, uh, the Chinese uh, parade was the first public uh, event to invite uh, the gay freedom ban to play for a huge audience. I mean, this is the this was the largest crowd gathering event in Northern California, annual crowd gathering event. And the Gay Freedom Band was uh, very much uh, appreciated and accepted in the parade, and they've been in the parade ever since uh, because of this relationship that the Chinese community was the first to invite them uh, to
1: perform publicly. So Th- are, in general, the the Chinese community in the San Francisco area is it heavily from Hong Kong or Taiwan or the mainland? I mean, and and what I'm getting at is, would are there differences in attitudes and, and openness among folks from different kind of if you will sub communities of two?
0: I think uh, well, the communities from all over China yeah. initially from the Taishan area, Jiangmen area. Uh, just uh, the Pearl River Delta area, not from uh, Guangzhou, the main city. It was more of a folk, peasant community that came to America, Mm -hmm. uh, laborers for the railroad, building the, uh, reclaiming land from the Delta, building the levees and so on. Uh, It wasn't until 1965 with the uh, new immigration law, That uh, more Chinese came because the Chinese were excluded since 1882. It was the first group uh, named the Chinese that the Chinese cannot come to America from 1882 to 1943. In 1943, because China was an ally of the U.S., so Congress uh, then changed the law and says 105 Chinese can come into America each year.
1: Literally literally just 105?
0: 105 until 1965. So the Chinese were excluded. It was the first group to be named, and the Chinese fought back. And partially because of that uh, civil rights discrimination, the Chinese have always felt that, in many ways, like the Jews, to be more progressive in terms of civil rights and who's included, who's excluded. Uh, So the The real story is the Chinese really fought back against these discriminatory laws uh, with more than 10,000 lawsuits against the U.S. government. This is a population of Chinese America at that time of about 110,000. So 9% of the Chinese in America sued the government. And more than 20 of these cases went to the Supreme Court to win for all Americans, certain of our uh, civil rights like equal protection under law, right to a public education, political uh, political asylum, what makes you a citizen, being born here. So the Chinese were at the forefront because they were the first to be legislatively uh, excluded. Yeah. So uh, so there's that attitude of uh, being more open. Uh, more accepting, I think, uh, within the community. And that's why the uh, Gay Freedom Band was invited uh, to come. I mean, besides, they were a great band. (laughs) They were a huge, great band. (laughs) They did good music.
1: So do you think uh, over time the popular understanding of the Dragon Boat Festival will change and, and to include this interpretation of it, or do you think it will always kind of remain a on the scholarly level?
0: Well, it depends on which community picks it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, I can't predict that. Uh, China is still very down on this, but it's changing quickly. And there's, uh, like, cities like Shanghai is quite open about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the gay community there, uh, they're pointing to this as the first Chinese Valentine's Day For uh, gays, so uh, attitudes are changing, uh, but I'm not I'm not sure how which directions they'll go.
1: Yeah, well, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw stuff happen in Taiwan, which obviously has been very much at the forefront lately of LGBTQ stuff.
0: Yeah, and then of course this holiday celebrate other things as well. It's also the day, supposedly the hottest day of the year oh. so there's uh to this to get rid of the five poisonous animal is another thing uh, eating special kinds of food drinking this real gear wine which is really a pesticide which they stopped drinking <laughs> <Really>?
3: <laughs> David uh, I know that you have a really busy day so just a couple more questions for you before we let you go yeah. um, this year marks the 47th annual celebration of the San Francisco Pride Parade and celebration. You yourself, as I had mentioned, have been instrumental with the Chinese parade. I think that we have such beautiful parade celebrations here in San Francisco. And in some ways, I mean, it all merges at some point or intersect in some ways. Um, What what are your thoughts about how we can best represent our communities in all of our celebrations?
0: Well, about... uh Decade ago, or a bit more, all of these uh, parades got together. Teddy Wetherington who headed uh, uh, Gay Pride, uh, and then the Carnival and the Chinese New Year parade got together to share resources. In fact, I remember in the mid '70s when the uh, Gay Pride just got started. It teamed up with the Afro-American community uh, as a Juneteenth celebration, at this Afro-American holiday in June, and to get together because it was a civil rights issue, uh, uh, and the Afro-Americans were uh, have done it longer, and so a group of Afro-American. And people from the gay community came to the, our parade committee, Chinese New Year uh, parade committee, to ask about how to get permits, floats to use, float makers, uh, and how to run a parade. Which uh, So I would say the Chinese parade committee should take some credit in helping start this uh, gay pride celebration uh, from its inception in the mid-'70s.
3: Wow! Um, thank you so much for sharing that, John. Do you have any last questions for David before we let him go?
1: Well, as an Asian Art Museum member, uh, what's the coolest stuff you've got right now?
0: We're in between. We're going to do the uh, Flower Power uh, in celebration of the fiftieth anniversary of the Summer of Love, mm-hmm. as everyone else is doing. <laughs> but our take is uh, a uh, Asian. Flowers in Asian art, Ooh. and we're trying to now get the Guinness Book of uh, World Record uh, to. We're trying to get a contract with them so we can uh, make the world's largest human lotus flower. Uh, we're trying to get 3,500 people to form a human lotus at the Civic Center Plaza sometime in july right before the start of this exhibition but come to the asian anytime we have permanent galleries uh uh, asia is now so important uh to world economy so it's time to learn about the culture and the arts of that culture very
1: good
3: David, I want to thank you so much for your time and for joining us here this morning with John and myself. Um, happy Pride season to you, and thank you so much for all that you do for the San Francisco community. And uh, I will see you soon.
0: Sure hope so, and thank you for allowing me to share part of my culture and the history.
3: You got it. Everyone, hit up the Asian Art Museum. Actually, uh, David, that that is... Not his pot, mine. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> potting David down now. Um, it, actually, David had mentioned that a, the Asian Art Museum does have the most extensive um, uh, history. I, I would say artifacts of Asian art in in the world. Uh, you know, we would argue. So if you're in town for Pride, make sure you also visit Asian Art Museum. And I should also mention that if you are a member of San Francisco Pride and you are not a member of the Asian Art Museum, you'll get 20% off of your membership by mentioning you're a San Francisco Pride member. Don't go away when we come back. John Zipper and I will talk about the world ending. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, you know, it's just included in today's program and every day because Donald Trump is still in office. Don't go away.
1: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
3: Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Um, John, before we dive into a bunch of things that's going on in the country politically, I should mention that John hosts his own show. It's the week-to-week political roundtable talk show that airs here on the Michelle Meow Show. Uh, four o'clock on Fridays, and that's West Coast time. Um, last week you had invited me as press to attend an event with Nancy Pelosi, and sadly I wasn't able to miss it because that's just what happens when uh, you're involved with Pride. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, how did the event go and kind of you know, what you got out of it? She
1: was very chatty, um, and I mean that in a, in a, a, a positive way. I mean, she obviously she was there to talk, but I mean, this was on the 30th anniversary of her getting into Congress. Uh, She had actually uh, taken the seat on a special election because of the death of the person who had held it before and uh, has been there ever since, and of course currently is the highest-ranking female politician in the country, making her one of the most powerful people literally in the world. Um, So she, you know, she's been there through George W. Bush, she was there through Obama, she was there through Clinton, and, and George Herbert Walker Bush. Um, am I missing any presidents? Okay, that's all of uh, them. So, you know, she's she's seen, you know, politicians she disagreed with and what, and ones she agreed with and times when things are going well and such, and she was asked by the moderator, who was Scott Schaefer from KQED here in town, and um, he said, okay, so so what's different about now, you know, what really is different. And and uh, she kept coming back to saying, you know, it, even with George W. Bush, you know, someone she was at loggerheads with politically on, on policy on a lot of things, they were still able to work together on certain things. And they could still talk about facts. You know, they could have different ways of dealing with those facts, different interpretations and such. But there were certain things that they knew were facts. And she says, that's just not the case with Trump. I mean, this really is Something she's never dealt with before in politics, so it's new for her.
3: That's scary. I mean, I mean, just from yeah. the perspective of if you've got these seasoned politicians, seasoned politicians or expert politicians, and I mean, because of tenure, yeah. Um, who say, hey, throughout all these presidents that I have worked with, this one I cannot work with. I mean, did you get a sense of the reason why, other than the fact that you know the what we think? he's just out of his mind i mean is this person really out of his mind or is there something else that's going on that we don't know
1: certainly he's you know the, the talk about someone who lives in a bubble generally they're talking about kind of like a big bubble you know san francisco democrats tend to be really liberal and they only hear other liberals and you know they're talked about as being in a bubble uh a lot of conservatives you know bill maher complains about conservatives who live in a bubble they only follow, follow fox news and they just don't believe anything or hear anything even often uh that that uh, really challenges that view. Um, Donald Trump, I think, lives in a very small bubble. You know, he has a very small number of people he will listen to. Uh, here's here's something that is scary, and this is, I think, this should scare a lot of people. We were talking about this on our last week, two weeks. People will hear this on Friday. Um, so Donald Trump comes in, kind of as a revolutionary. He's going to change things. He brings in, you know, white nationalists and others, and puts them in his White House and uh, even a lot of, you know, establishment Republicans are just like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? But then they felt a bit more secure that at least on the foreign policy field, he had brought in, you know, some, some Republicans that they trusted. You know, uh, General Mattis for Secretary of Defense, Rex Tillerson uh, at State, uh, McMaster at NSA, that, that they were kind of seen as the adults in the room, if you will. And Trump even said, okay, I'm going to defer to them on these things. So what happened when, you remember Donald Trump just last week went over to Europe and did a great job of undoing, you know, the most important military alliance in history. Right. Um, there and I, there was just a story, uh, I think it was yesterday or Sunday in Politico or whatever, but I guess it was also reported in Vanity Fair. Trump gave this speech at NATO to in Brussels to the other NATO leaders, and this was a, a speech that specifically was uh, supposed to commemorate this, the fact that all the members had come together at the time of 9 11 because there's something called article 5 in nato it's just what you would expect in a, in a military alliance right you attack any nato member all nato members respond and it's it's just collective defense and donald trump of course has danced around whether or not he would he would uh do that um apparently mcmaster tillerson and mattis had fought very hard in the weeks before this thing to make sure that his speech would include a reaffirmation of U.S. support for Article 5. Trump took it out. So Trump's not listening to the very people, A, he said he would listen to, but B, the ones who are giving even a lot of Republicans a sense of, okay, it can't get too bad. Well, now he's he's not listening to them. His circle includes, you know, Steve Bannon, Jared Kushner, who now is a person of interest in the Russia investigation. I was going to say
3: criminal. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. fine. Alleged criminal. Alleged, yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, You know, all these unindicted co-conspirators, as they would say back in the Nixon years. Um, So I think that has uh, added to a level of fear, again, even among Republicans, who had at least thought, well, you know what? He's got some adults there who will keep him from doing too much harm, and we're going to get, you know, our our dream stuff. They're going to get tax reform and stuff like that. And by tax reform, they mean, of course, major tax cuts at the top. Um, It doesn't look like they're going to get anything. (laughs) Uh. And, you know, on the international scene, it's pretty much a horrid mess. So uh, on that uplifting note, how are you?
3: (laughs) Uh, You know what's interesting is, I mean, Commonwealth Club did do – you know, program that was all focused on the first hundred days of yeah. Donald Trump, and I think you guys are now focused on the next hundred days of Donald Trump. And it looks like we're trying to jump from the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, or taking it at least a hundred days at a time. <laughs> um, so we saw the first hundred days really just about, I think, I think it's like it was just like yanking a tooth out really quickly. And in, in, in shocking the country with the controversial executive orders mm-hmm. uh, that the president had attempted to, you know, he signed it, but attempted to make uh, as, a, as an order for people to follow. But you're seeing that even the Supreme Court is stepping in. And now the second 100 days looks like he is moving into shocking the rest of the world or I guess, you know, some international leaders. Well, what do you think in your opinion, just kind of through the programs that you guys have been producing. I feel like our, our our first initial reaction was to resist and we have been resisting and there's lots of work into place. And then now we're talking about what we need to do from a local or state uh, statewide approach in, in kind of fighting back and, and resisting uh I, I'm at a loss. I mean, I, I think that that's just where I'm at. I don't know. It, it feels very, very scary, like we're walking into a, th- a thick fog and we can't see anything.
1: I think, I've said this before, in a, for a lot of our lives, if at least whether you were interested in politics or not, you could kind of say, okay, no matter what happens in Washington, things are still going to stay somewhat normal in, our, in my life. That might be bad or good in your life, but I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's not something radical that could change. I think that certainty is no longer there for a lot of folks. Second, going back to your thing about the next 100 days, I think the next 100 days is going to be increasingly about Russia. You know, I I think I've said it on this program, said it elsewhere. Um, I did not think that Trump, you know, necessarily directly colluded with, with the Russians, with the Russians directly affected votes, but that they might have, you know, some of his people might have worked with Russia to try to um you know obviously sway the public opinion and and you know hack things and stuff like that. So what's the story that comes out early this week? That in fact, the Russians tried to hack voting machines in Florida. So Oh my god. Yes. Now, and then take again this is like okay, so this will sound like a weird aside but it's not. So Vanity F- Vanity Fair? No, New York Magazine had a big article on how to plan your impeachment party, you know. Put it off it's going to take a longer time before that happens but um, I think there will be a lot of people having kind of like TV watching parties this Thursday when James Comey the former FBI director testifies before the Senate Judiciary Committee I believe it is Um, and that is the the, you know Comey was the guy who was fired by Trump who, who then it came out that Trump had apparently asked him to lay off or directed him however you want to interpret that to lay off the investigation into Mike Flynn. Uh, the former, nat- I think, very short-lived uh, national security advisor. Um, that's going to be potentially the biggest thing to hit Donald Trump so far in his presidency, which has already been very tumultuous. And this, what, what I'm going to say is just that this whole Russia investigation is continuing. Robert Mueller, who is now leading the investigation within, uh, I believe, the Justice Department, uh, you know, he's not going to roll over. I mean, this is going to be serious stuff we're gonna be having hit the Trump administration, what, on a weekly basis? We've had it already where it's been kind of a daily kind of thing where we've had big news. So that's what's gonna happen in the next 100 days. And to tie this all together, how does this affect, you know, all of, everyone just trying to live their life as well as people worried about the U.S. response to terrorism or the U.S. relationship with its allies or its role as a peacemaker anywhere. Is that this administration, which already was very distracted, is going to be even more distracted.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's take a quick break. I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> and when we come back, I'm going to talk about his Twitter handle and, and, and just, you know, we'll continue this conversation. I'm already tired, but we're going to take a quick break. I'll be right back.
1: G-R-E-C-A-R-E.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community.
3: Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs.
1: And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show.
3: Welcome back! Thank you so much for joining me here. I had a great time in the studio, and I know it's been challenging for me to get into the studio and do these shows. uh, And I, I mean, I keep blaming it on pride, but I think it just—I think I'm struggling like just everybody else out there. It's a struggle to get to work. It's a struggle to turn on the television. It's a struggle to check your Twitter feed. Especially when the president is tweeting in yes. the middle of the night. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. So, John, right before the break, I wanted to talk to you about Donald Trump's Twitter feed. And it, it, it's it's like we can't describe it as anything else but a meltdown um, in a lot of ways. Uh, a, a kid with a phone throwing a tantrum who's unhinged and impulsive.
1: And self-destructive.
3: Well, let's, let's talk about how it's, it's self-destructive. I mean, he literally has put himself or has incriminated himself in a lot of ways, especially uh, his responses ban? to the travel ban.
1: Yeah, so his staff has been going out there, and I guess legally as well, in, in legal arguments, you know, the, uh, the, the government's lawyers, in defending his uh, immigration executive order, let's call it that, or travel executive order, saying it is not a travel ban. And then twice, yesterday or Sunday, I forget if it w- if it was both days or separate days, he, in an email specifically said, or in a text, a tweet, specifically says, it is a travel ban. I don't care what anyone else calls it. It is a travel ban. Um, this caused, so you know who Kellyanne Conway is, his uh, advisor and pollster. Right. And the kind of Baghdad Bob of, of the White House, willing to go out and just say anything in his defense. Right. Her husband is a lawyer in private practice, and he was up for uh some job in the justice department before he took his name out of consideration and he tweeted in response to trump that you know saying this this, you know this is insane you're you're hurting your own argument you're hurting your own lawyers who are trying to to help you you know basically saying shut up um so self-destructive in that way could be i mean that's something that 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 kind of tweeting at least I think liberals can can uh, smile about because it helps them; it's a gift to them. The tweeting, though, that he was doing on the same day, where he was attacking the London mayor, who had very reasonably said and very clearly said to you know Londoners in his own tweet, you know, there's going to be a bigger police presence over the next few days because of the, these terror attacks. You know, stay calm. You know, things are going. You're, you're going to be okay. Trump attacked him as if he was saying, you know just stay calm, you know, there's nothing going on, there's no problem. And then double down on it when people continue to say, no, 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 this is actually what the quote was. That kind of thing, first of all, it's horrendous that you'd be attacking the mayor of a city who's just been, you know.
3: Yeah, has suffered through through a a tragedy.
1: Yeah, and then it's an ally, it's the closest ally the country has, and he's attacking it. Um, And what I would, I'll shut up in a moment, but I, I would say It's interesting that Theresa May, who's the prime minister of the UK, uh, looking like she's going to win, but not by as big of a landslide as she had originally done done in the the elections that I guess are this week, uh, she has been criticized in her own country as basically kind of being a lapdog for the United States and and even being very muted in her criticism of the U.S. pulling out of the Paris Agreement. She said, you know, she called Trump and privately, you know, said he did the wrong thing. Meanwhile, you know, pretty much every other country is is very vocal, saying not only that the U.S. was wrong to do it, but that – to pull out of it, but that they're going to continue to push even further on combating climate change. She she kind of had to come out and support Khan publicly, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London. I think she's going to be put in an increasingly awkward position because if she keeps either not criticizing Trump or actually defending him – um, she's going to find herself kind of, you know, in a chorus of one. So just other stuff to watch about what's going on over there.
3: So I guess the uh, the Wall Street Journal has had enough of his crazy tweets and they put together some video. I haven't seen it, but let's play a little bit of it just to, to, to see what that's like. Because the headline was basically, uh, he, you know, they burned Donald Trump. So here it is.
2: now tweeting happens to be a modern day form of communication it's a modern form it's a great form modern form tremendous form modern day form of communication i'm not saying i love it but it does get the word out twitter is a wonderful thing for me because i get the word out i can do in 140 or 280 or i can you know you could extend them all i do is dot 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 you can put it down but it is a very effective form of communication. I'm not unproud of it, to be honest with you. Let me ask you, should I keep the Twitter going or not? Keep it going? I think so. I think so. Why waste the time? Why distract? But why do you care? If I tweet uh, two or three or four or five times a day, and if most of them are good, and and I, I really want them all to be good, but if I make one mistake in a month, Now, this one, I don't think is going to prove to be a mistake at all. No one's talking to me about the president's tweets. No one's talking to me about any of those issues. Twitter, if I don't do that, I won't get my word out.
1: Foreign leaders, the president tweets something, they should ignore it?
2: They're not. Um, sitting there texting me and saying, what was this tweet about? I, I think the president's tweets stand for themselves. I think the president's tweet speaks very clearly Sean for Spicer, himself. His tweets do speak for themselves. To me, it's chatter I don't focus on. This obsession with covering everything he says well, on Twitter and very little well, of what he, he does that's, as that's president. His, that's his preferred method of communication yeah. with the American people.
3: True. I think social media for the president is extremely important. What do you
2: tw- You're equating me
1: addressing the nation here in a tweet? I don't, I mean, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard.
3: (laughs) You, you people are the silliest thing America and the world has ever heard. (laughs) Donald Trump's Twitter feed. Uh, That's Donald Trump basically saying that Twitter is the best thing on earth and the best way to get at information, but uh, that is far from what the White House is saying in, in kind of contradicting themselves that it's not not everything on Twitter should be taken seriously from the president
1: certainly one of the least uh, desired jobs in the world right now is being his press secretary
3: yeah Uh, which there are rumors that Sean Spicer will be out very very Soon, and uh, we haven't seen as much of him as we we have. Do you have think he's like
1: sitting in his in his office, kind of cowering in a corner, saying, "Please fire me! Please fire me! Please fire me!"
3: <laughs> I think he keeps showing up to work with the wrong pair of shoes on each foot <laughs> and has the excuse to go find the right.
1: Foot. <laughs> oh, damn! Then gets gotta stop dressing in the dark. <laughs>
3: um, well, well. Speaking of, you know, just kind of where we're at the next hundred days, the focus of where Commonwealth Club is going, or actually the media. It, it's it, there's something that someone says, like, pretty soon the president's not going to have anybody helping him run this country except his family and Breitbart.
1: <laughs> well, P.J. O'Rourke, when he was at the Commonwealth Club, he was asked, uh, you know, so, you know, all these people in the audience are saying, well, when is there going to be impeachment? And he's like, look, I don't know when that's going to happen. It might not happen. But I know when Republicans will turn on him. And he said that'll be when Fox News turns on him. And uh, I mentioned that last night on the week-to-week, and, and one of the panelists said, yeah, and some of them already are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wall Street, you, you're just playing this thing from the Wall Street Journal, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch, who also, of course, runs Fox News. Um, certainly that part of the right-wing media world is starting to at least hedge its bets, I think. Breitbart, of course, is all in. They're gonna be there until, you know, the, the Reichstag is, is, is bombed or whatever. but. Um, the rest of us, I think, are, are noticing that that uh, some of the rats are leaving the ship.
3: I still think that, you know, we should be very active and involved politically as much as you can. Um, that's locally, statewide. I think locally is more important at this point. I also think that we need to be vigilant in staying safe, uh, whatever that means, you know. So don't walk alone at night. Don't find yourself in strange I shouldn't say strange, but like neighborhoods or places that you normally that you normally wouldn't frequent. And I think for for a lot of times, especially if you are other, if you're a person of color, if you're LGBTQ, um, you know, or Muslim or Jewish or, you know, I I feel like other uh, just to make sure that if you are in places that you're you're not familiar with, that you're taking buddies with you. Uh, Yes, I think going back to the days of carrying a whistle or pepper spray uh, would be appropriate. Um, I also think that you should, I mean, all of us protesting, being angry, being vocal uh, as much as we can, but also unify folks, you know, bring people together. I did a fundraiser for San Francisco Pride. and It was something that was different for the organization. For much of the 47 years that it's been around, and that was a diversity call, a true celebration of diversity and bringing various communities together through food and culture, and talked about, you know, how embracing an authentic identity is a challenge here in this country. So whether that identity is sexual orientation, gender identity, or ethnicity, um, how whatever authentic identity we're trying to to be it, it's it's it hasn't come with uh challenges and that's what living in america is like and i think that that's the american value that we need to fight for what do you think john
1: i think that's very well said um i think uh right now we talk a lot here about you know keeping informed about everything that's um, going on in the world and in the, in the, in the country. But uh, also th- another part of that is not letting it distract you, not letting it ruin your life, not letting it stop you from doing um, what you should be doing. I mean, that, don't, don't let, I don't think Donald Trump has a master plan to prevent gay people from enjoying their lives, but that will be an, uh, an unintended, but certainly on his, his side, welcome. Uh, side effect if people do that so
3: yeah now more than ever I mean pride celebrations festival uh, festivals cultural celebrations I think need to make sure that you're reaching out to an inclusive community that's how we're going to unify each other let's not have this president break us for what we have been doing by building our communities so you know I, I hope that for for much of you who even, Are Trump supporters, and maybe just monitoring my show, I don't know how you stumbled (laughs) across it. If you're listening, you know, that that building community changing hearts and minds and bringing people together that has been an American value. And this president isn't going to change that. Not one person in this country can change that. Thank you so much for joining us here on this program. The Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between airs 4 o'clock West Coast time here on the Progressive Voices Network. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club hosts his week-to-week political roundtable talk. So if you'd like to hear more... Uh, regarding john and his thoughts and politics make sure you tune in on fridays for everything else you can head to com or you can go to commonwealthclub.org for everything john zipper and get the commonwealth club we'll see you tomorrow